Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris, and it's good to be back with you. It's been about four plus years since my last podcast, uh, which is probably a bigger break than most podcasters take. Uh, for all intents and purposes, I was basically retired and kind of thought I would be. I guess I should uh, check that. I thought maybe there would be a time in the future where I would uh, come back for something particularly important or, or whatever. But I think it's going to work out a little bit differently. I do feel like I want to start podcasting again fairly regularly, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But let's just hit the basics first. Where have I been? What have I been doing? And why did I come back? And all that kind of stuff. So first, I guess I should explain why I kind of retired in the first place. And I suppose it's mostly because I had felt like I had said everything that I wanted to say and then kind of got burnt out with just trying to find content for the sake of producing content, if that makes sense. Um, when I first started podcasting, I had a, oh, I called it a burden at the time for the specific issues that I wanted to show people were wrong, particularly about the new age and all the crazy things that they say. And I wanted to show people, hey, this is wrong because of X, Y, and Z. And during the course of researching those things, I found a whole new set of things I was extremely passionate about regarding Bible prophecy. So that started this whole thing of Bible prophecy talk and all the books and everything that happened as a result of that. But it was also finite in that there were basically three topics that I wanted to say with regard to Bible prophecy. Yes, there were other things I could uh, make content about if I wanted to or, you know, explain my view on some other issue or something like that. But there were, at the end of the day, these three things I wanted to say. And then I said them and then it felt like I was just um, going to see a future of creating content just because, uh, just to keep the job. It's kind of like politicians, you know, eventually just just want to stay, just have a job, and a whole lot of bad stuff happens just because a politician needs a job. So yeah, I just kind of faded off into the sunset there, and um, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit relieved. There was a little bit of a burden uh, that just was not on me anymore. And part of that, I think, was... Uh, that I was doing the ministry full-time. I was relying on it for my uh, my income. You know, since then, my wife and I have started a business. We've sold that business. I've started two other uh, fairly successful businesses, uh, invented a product, really just did a lot of things to, uh, you know, we're not wealthy by any means, but we're, we're certainly more financially stable than we were. And that brings up another aspect of this, which is that I think relying on donations for your uh, ministry full-time is a completely biblical thing to do, uh, and it's the way it should be done in almost every case, and maybe even in this case. But uh, I did find myself over the years kind of checking myself if I knew that certain big donors were uh, not going to like certain things I said, you know, and everything that I said was more or less controversial. The pre-wrath rapture, all the things that I was really interested in. Uh, were those things that I knew the big donors didn't like. You know, they were they were big into the Islamic Antichrist theory. Obviously, these di things didn't stop me. I still said everything I wanted to say, but it was something I considered, and I thought that, you know, in the future, if I was going to go full force with this, if, if stuff I needed to do more with it, I would need to be financially independent. And that's not to say that I'm not going to ask for donations or that they wouldn't help the ministry. It's just not that I need it to keep going, at least with the podcasts and videos and things like that. There are projects which I'm probably going to talk about right now. So that dovetails into the question, why am I coming back now? What's the story with that? And the long answer to that is that I've often thought 
I want to start the podcast again. There were th- certain things I wanted to talk about, uh, just stuff I wanted to riff on about current events or little things I found in Bible prophecy or whatever. But mostly the reason I came back now is because Alan Kirshner of the Biblical Prophecy Program, uh, Eschatos Ministries, called me up and said, hey, let's make a movie about pre-wrath. Let's make it a really good movie with a budget and everything. And I want you to, uh, to produce it. And I thought, sure. Yeah, that's probably one of the few things that could have got me started again. In fact, I think, and I could be misremembering this, but I I believe I had it in my head that if Alan ever called me and wanted to do a big production with Pre-Wrath, because I think it's something that we had talked about in the past, uh, and I thought, well, you know, that would that would get me back in it because I knew that that would require me going like full force into research again. And that, that would mean that I would want to talk about all the research and things I was finding out, which means that I would have to start the podcast again, which would mean all this other stuff. So yeah, I'll get into the movie stuff later. There's a lot to say about that, but first I kind of just want to talk about the podcast. So what's this all going to look like? What is the format of the podcast going to be? Are there other things I'll be doing at the same time? My thinking right now is that in addition to all the research and everything I'm going to be doing with the production of the documentary, I'm mostly going to focus my efforts right here on this podcast, specifically the BibleProphecyTalk.com website. I know I've in the past had so many different websites all over the place. I'm just going to really focus my efforts right here, um, and that's going to help me focus my efforts. It's going to help future-proof the message, I think, in the long run, which I'll talk more about in a minute. This is Bible Prophecy Talk, so we will be mainly talking about Bible prophecy in some way or another, though I wouldn't be surprised if a majority of the podcast, or at least the beginning of most podcasts, will have me ranting about uh, one subject or another, current events, or something else I've been uh, thinking about, but uh, probably not going through the news and that kind of thing unless it's, you know, hyper-relevant to something or another. I'm probably going to be making some minor videos that will most likely spring from what I'm doing on this podcast, Uh, so no major video projects other than the documentary that I'm going to be working on. So, uh, for example, I might uh, take a a pre-tribulational argument and kind of call and response, uh, answer it, and put it on YouTube. It's much better in podcast form because it's less likely that they'll uh, do copyright strikes and that kind of thing. And that really goes into the other thing about what's been happening with my YouTube channels and why I really want to future-proof something or another because uh, it doesn't look good for the future of, uh, of conservative talk in general and specifically the kind of stuff that I'm uh, prone to talk about. And I'm not saying this is about me specifically or that I'm being singled out or whatever. I'm sure everybody is experiencing this to some degree or another these days. Uh, But my main channel um, has been down for many years, but my backup channel, which sort of became my main channel, Verse by Verse BT, has been shadow banned. And what that means is that YouTube has artificially deranked my videos from search, and I assume from other kinds of, uh, of YouTube discoverable kind of things. Meaning that if you typed in, for example, the title, the exact title of my uh, most popular video, which would be Ancient Aliens Debunked Full Movie, which has about 8 million views into the YouTube search bar, you can go pages and pages. I think I quit at about five pages last time and not find it. You can find other people that have uploaded it to their channel. I've always let people upload my videos to their channels. But the one specifically from my channel is almost impossible to find through the search function. And yeah, that is a little bit frustrating because while I was quote-unquote retired, I was in the back of my head thinking, well, at least there are all these videos that I did out there that are doing good and 
will presumably continue to do good for years and years. But if uh, people can't find them through search, then they're effectively not really doing much good out there because they were all designed to use Google's algorithm to get in front of the people that needed them. But, you know, you got to work with what you got, and it just means we have to do uh, ministry in a different way. Anyway, all of that to say that it would be really good if you subscribed to this podcast using the RSS feed directly. It's not all that easy to do, so if you can't do it, don't worry about it. But on BibleProphecyTalk.com, there is a link that just says RSS. There is an iTunes link for the podcast. You can get it on Stitcher and Google and the rest of it. But if you're a little tech savvy and can subscribe to a, a podcast using just the RSS feed, it is better because that's a server uh, that I use and it will be one of the last things to go if indeed things go that way. The thing I want to talk about is this big project that Alan and I are working on, this uh, pre-Wrath film project. You can go to the website prewrathmovie.com. There you will see a kind of fundraising trailer that we did uh, some footage we shot in Atlanta. And it also includes him and I talking about uh, what we want this film to be like, what we want it to accomplish, etc. So the short answer is we want it to be the best pre-wrath film, documentary, movie, video that's ever been done. Something that's really high quality, that gets right to the heart of the matter, that teaches pre-wrath in a very clear, concise way, but also very lovingly shows the problems with the pre-tribulational view and not and it's really important to us not to have it be like a you know margaret mcdonald and the pre-trib rapture you know very heavy-handed anti-pre-trib we don't want any of that we want it to be something that a pre-tribber would want to click on if they saw the name and the thumbnail or whatever and that's one of the reasons i haven't thought of a name yet because i don't know what the title and subtitle need to be Another reason I haven't quite come up with a title yet is because I'm not sure I know the full story yet. So I don't know what it should be about other than obviously teaching the pre-wrath rapture, because I think there's a story within a story here that could really be kind of like breaking news, like a scandal almost. And it's sort of a hypothesis at this point because I'm not an insider. I'm not in academia, but I can read papers and it does seem to me like the pre-trib scholars have radically changed the way they are teaching the pre-tribulational rapture, and it seems in large part based on the criticisms from pre-wrath, and this new thing that they're teaching is quite obviously very silly. But I basically need to see how deeply rooted these new concepts are, how deep the rabbit hole goes, as it were. Uh, but I definitely think the average pre-tribber would be shocked to know that this is what academia has had to do to still make the pre-trib rapture true after the criticisms. And I think that the average pre-trib pastor would say, this, these are the things I've been teaching my congregation my whole career, and you're telling me that I can't teach them any, anymore because uh, they're, they're, they've been proven wrong. So you've moved on to this thing that I certainly can't agree with because it's quite silly on its face. Um, and academia is interesting because they're one of the few places that you're going to really get true interaction with difficult arguments because because of peer review and things. They can't just say, ah, that's an argument I don't want to deal with. Go away. Uh, I just want to believe my pre-trib rapture. They at least have to, to interact with it to some degree. And in doing so, they put on paper some stuff that uh, may have some big words uh, there and may be hard to understand from just a just a crazy amounts of big words and, and references that are not uh, immediately obvious unless you look at the footnotes. But at the end of the day, it's just really silly if you can put it into plain English. 
But even if that rabbit hole doesn't go as deep as I think it does, there is still a really interesting story with what has been developing with uh, the pre-wrath, pre-trib stuff lately. And I think people are just going to be floored by it. I think when people can see with their own two eyes the problems uh, that pre-trib is having and the solutions that they've been proposing to those problems, I think it it's a clear no-brainer, especially when you see the complete lack of consensus. I have this Excel spreadsheet I've been working on that I think people are just going to uh, be really surprised about. In any case, go to the website, prewrathmovie.com, check out the trailer, donate if it's a movie you want to see. The budget right now is pretty large. It's $18,500. That's mostly travel. There's about five or six people we want to interview. So there's a lot of travel that's in in there. We want to do a lot of CGI. Uh, Any budget that's left over will be used for uh, promoting this on Patriot Radio and different kinds of advertising like that. So uh, check it out, prewrathmovie.com. Let's get into the podcast. So this is kind of a two-parter. The first is sort of a current events sort of thing about the world. It's descent into all these things that we hear about on talk radio, socialism and the moral decline and all this stuff. The state of the world is a pretty scary place if you look at it through that lens. So uh, what do I think about that? And what do I think the Christian view of it should be in light of history and the Bible and the rest of it? And then secondly, trying to relate that to where we are in the prophetic timeline. What should we be looking for in terms of events that uh, are supposed to happen in the end times, etc.? So let's talk about this descent into socialism and the crazy lack of morality and weird stuff that's been happening over the years and the stuff that we hear about every day on talk radio or our conservative podcasts or Fox News or whatever. And I say it like that because I do want to make the point first that we need to accept that there is a little bit of rage baiting going on and things might not be quite as bad as they're making it out to be. They do have a vested interest in making us outraged because it makes them money. Uh, On the other side, too, the so-called Trump bump, they have a vested interest in making uh, something Trump said out to be something he didn't say in order to get people to click on their links so that they can get the advertising revenue. It's a really big business these days, and it's certainly uh, true on the conservative side as well. That's why anytime AOC says anything at all, she makes a a front page because we love to click on something the squad did because it's just so, uh, so like watching a train wreck or something. So we do need to recognize that the powers that be have a vested interest, if for no other reason, just because they're making money uh, to make things seem worse than they are so that they can get that uh, rage click money. That being said, it's also true. The world is in a kind of downward spiral in most directions. I do think this socialism thing is pretty interesting and on the minds of many people. So let's just briefly talk about it. The Democratic uh, candidates are all really radical. They are far left and some of them are outright socialist. And we think, okay, this can't be good that all of them are that way. That's weird in itself. Like, did we go from zero to 100 all of a sudden? There must be some concerted effort behind that, obviously, whether it's uh, Hillary Clinton making sure they're all crazy so that she can come in like a moderate, maybe one of the only ways she could win. Uh, Or maybe it's just a concerted effort to um, make the world have to go that way someday. Because let's be honest, it's too early for this to actually have any meaningful difference. Um, That is to say, 
Bernie Sanders could become president and there would be such a divided Congress. You think it's divided now with uh, Trump. It would be divided uh, with Bernie. He wouldn't get anything done in four years. It would just be he, he wouldn't turn the country into a socialist uh, a Venezuela in four years because he just wouldn't have the support to do it. Uh, but that's not to say that the next generation won't believe that the, these are all good ideas. And then maybe the next president after that, or maybe the one after that really will be socialist and have a Congress that supports it. And it could just be a, a slow burn kind of thing. Or of course, something crazy could happen. There could be a new 9-11, but uh, conservative behind it. And that changes things considerably as well there. But my point, I guess, is that I want to look at what happens in the worst case scenario. And let's just play that out. What if America did fall into true socialism, maybe even a socialist dictator who tried to to implement all these policies? Uh, they opened the borders. The, the population doubled. They tried to get everybody, give everybody free health care. They crashed the economy in the process. They take all of our guns. Uh, they, they, they even start to outlaw Christianity in the sense that they said, oh, the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't agree with trans stuff. So you, you, the Bible's outlaw and that's hate speech. And we're going to ban all Christian stuff. We're going to burn churches and then, uh, maybe a false flag with Christians or whatever. So they start to kill Christians and Christians are regularly killed in the streets in this new socialist world. And all that stuff that I just outlined, our worst Fox News nightmare, can all happen and have nothing whatsoever to do with Bible prophecy and not even be that interesting from a macro historical perspective. Really, the only story there is that we're the first generation that thinks that we are above regime changes or, or above persecutions or whatever. And I know that's sort of the, the, the way that the world sees things right now is that we are this enlightened world. But first of all, we know that's not going to continue forever because we do see a persecution in the end times. We know, of course, that Christian persecution in other countries is on record highs right now, but not us, of course, of course. But, you know, we just don't, we don't know what, I, I personally think that when it comes, and it can come for less reasons than it has before, because we're so soft, you know, a minor famine can happen uh, and we'll just turn into savages. And if we can blame Christians for that, then there, there's your persecution right there. But the point is that we could be due for several more cycles of persecution and regime changes and maps being redrawn. And basically, I'm just describing history. We could be due for more history before the Lord returns. And it's not necessarily going to have anything to do with Bible prophecy. It could, if the actual events that we're supposed to look for are happening at the same time. I think people might say that, oh, Chris, you're wrong because the world is so much more wicked now. They're doing these crazy things and, and all this stuff. And my theory on that is that the world has always been as wicked as it can be. There, it, the world is a static state of wicked. I mean, think of the, in terms of the quality of its wickedness, um, what's the most wicked thing you could possibly dream up? And it would probably be something like sacrificing a baby to Satan in a blasphemous way, well, in a particularly painful way or something like that. That's just awful. And that's been going on since time immemorial. People have sacrificing their babies to Moloch in a way I won't even describe because it is so awful. That being said, I think there's a healthy debate to be had here because there are verses about wickedness increasing in the last days. 
Uh, men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Although that verse is at least it looks like for the about the professing church that you need to avoid those people. I would also say that God does seem to have an allotment of uh, of blood that He allows before He judges. Um, so that could be a, a healthy and lively debate there. Uh, in addition, I think that God's forbearance is also an important factor to consider there, that he's uh, uh, allowing for the maximum number of people to be saved. But the the factor in all of those things is that they're not something that we are privy to or can calculate the uh, whether we're there or we're wicked enough yet. So before I go into where I think we are on the prophetic timeline, what signs we should be looking for, I mainly just want to remind Christians that we are prone to this. We're prone to demanding that the end times be in our generation, despite what the Bible says, despite the Bible's very particular signs that it gives. We demand that uh, the Antichrist is whoever is killing us at that particular time. And every single generation of Christian has, has done it. You can't find a generation of Christians that hasn't done it. And they had much better reasons. At least Nero, the first uh, recorded time I know that this has happened, at least he was killing Christians. He was lighting them up like uh, like uh, dipping them in tar and lighting them on fire in his garden. And so at least there was a good reason for thinking, well, you know, Nero, even if they had to play around with the numbers and his name and all this stuff, uh, and then every single emperor after Nero, he was definitely the Antichrist. We do the same thing with presidents democratic presidents anyway. They're always the Antichrist. There's a, a large coalition of anybody that believes the next democratic president will certainly be the Antichrist. I guarantee you that'll be a big thing in Christianity if, an, if a Democrat wins. Then, of course, after Rome fell, it was Attila the Hun, then Genghis Khan. In the modern era, it's been Napoleon. He was a big candidate. Uh, Hitler, of course. And then everybody that we have these days, the Islamic Antichrist is the big one these days. But it all follows the same pattern. It's whoever's the big baddie of that of the day. And I, I think at least like the reformers, they had a really good reason. All these people had good reasons. You know, John Calvin and the rest had a good reason for playing fast and loose with the text to force the Catholic church to be the antichrist and the woman that rode the beast and all the stuff that they wrote reams of commentaries about. And they had a good reason. The Catholic church was killing them in creative ways because they believed in the true gospel. That would be really hard not to write a commentary about Revelation and say, you know, it has to be the Catholic Church. Can you imagine if that was happening to us today? Do you know how many books would be out about the Catholic Church being the Antichrist? But now we know better because we, we've moved past that. The, the emotions are not there anymore. We just, I, I just want to say, hey, let's, let's look at this from that perspective and make sure we're following what the Bible says about what the end times will look like. So the second part of this podcast will try to answer the question, what are the signs that we should look for according to the Bible um, that the end times are here or that they are approaching? And I think most Bible students, including most Bible scholars, would say, and I agree with this, that we should look uh, at the birth pangs, uh, which are found in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13. This is where the disciples specifically asked Jesus what would be the signs of his coming. And he starts off by saying, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. 
the question really is, when do those birth pains happen in relationship to the last seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel? And there are lots of different theories about that. And I find that the reason people have their theories oftentimes is because they're trying to support their view on the return of Christ. Sadly, that is uh, what leads many people to do what they do with this passage uh, for example, John Walvoord, which is probably one of the more famous pre-tribulational scholars, has maintained for uh, you know his career that the birth pangs occur over the course of the last 2,000 years. That is, they are ongoing, and uh, he does submit that they sort of uh, will get worse as the end times approach. And besides the fact that I don't think that there's any biblical compelling reason to believe that view and that there's a much better view, which we'll talk about later, I think one of the main problems with that theory is that it waters down these warnings to such a degree that they are made of no effect because they can be generalized to, to be any famine or any war or any earthquake. And I think that view has caused any number of Thessalonian-type problems, uh, you know, people that have suffered through famines or whatever in the Irish potato famine, which was a devastating thing that certainly must have seemed like the end times to those people because they had a vague notion that the end times would include famines. But we, of course, know that uh, that's not that wasn't the end times, and we should keep that in mind if a famine comes around again. But I think the much more defensible view, and this is a view that is uh, old school, it's not unique to me. Um, I hold it, pre-tribbers hold it, John MacArthur is a notable example. But basically the idea that the the seals in the book of Revelation are the same thing as the birth pangs. They, they follow a one-to-one -one relationship, both in, in chronology and substance, they are essentially mirrors of one another. Uh, some examples, the first thing that we see in Revelation 6 is uh, the seal, the first seal opened and a rider on a white horse uh, going out conquering and to conquer, who is pretty much universally understood to be a picture of the Antichrist. The next thing we see in those seals is uh, the giving authority to take peace from the earth. And this is a pattern that we're going to see in every single instance. Uh, well, maybe not every single instance, but most biographical accounts of the Antichrist will follow this pattern. That is, he is introduced and then he begins to conquer and sort of, uh, I've often called it consolidating his kingdom. Uh, but again, we look back at the birth pangs and the first thing that we are mentioned there is also the false Christ, wars and rumors of wars, uh, nations rising against nation and, and kingdom against kingdom and all that. So if you accept, which I think you should, that these are the same thing, then the answer to the question, what is the first thing that we should look for in the end times? That is to say, what has the Bible told us when we specifically ask the question, what signs shall we look for? The answer is, you are going to see a guy going out conquering and to conquer. Now, that in itself is kind of vague. Wars and rumors of wars, I mean, admittedly. But thankfully, the Bible has given us more information about the type and quality of these wars that I don't think it's even kind of possible to mistake what is going to happen in the end times. Uh, one thing we know for sure is that the Antichrist has some sort of new quality of warfare, whether this is supernatural, which I tend to lean towards because it says he worships a god of fortresses, which is a, uh, a martial kind of sounding thing. Obviously, the god of fortresses is probably Satan in some way or another. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he 
if he calls whatever he's doing technological or whatever, but one thing that seems to be clear is that it's so amazing that people people worship him just because of it. They say uh, they worship the beast, saying, who is like him? Who can make war with him? And I think we underestimate that term, who can make war with them, because it comes into play with the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, I'm, I'm convinced. But but the idea is that he's able to, to in Daniel 7, subdue that entire 10-nation uh, kingdom out of the three, or however that works out, however you envision that. He takes whatever he's started with, let's call it three of 10, uh, subdues those kings, and then takes over the whole thing, and then begins these wars that Daniel uh, talks about in Daniel 11 and so on, which seem to include the king of the north and the south. We're told Egypt, and he conquers a lot of people uh, and nations and just takes their stuff. It seems that, and if I was going to put this in modern vernacular, he is able to do something that makes nuclear arsenals of no effect. Uh, I know I'm not talking about the alien stuff, but, you know, there's this alien thing going around with these pilots saying that, you know, this thing is happening and they're all like weirded out by it, but it's yet something they've kind of been told about or whatever. I, I haven't even really researched that. But the first thing that popped into my head is if it was some sort of new technology that was able to, you know, they figured out some weird time space thing that were able to do some neat tricks just in a purely technological uh, way. It would be such an advantage if you had that technology that you would essentially be completely uh, whatever you said goes because you would have something. It's kind of like America with the bomb in World War II. Basically, you're like, OK, I give up. You got the bomb. We don't. Uh, I don't think it'll be quite that simple. But my point is, is that his conquering at the beginning of the end times will, will be so significant that people will actually worship him because of that. And let me give you an example of how that could happen. The first thing that we see in the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period, is that he makes a covenant with Israel. I think that literally what's being said there, I've been told by scholars of, I think it's even Aramaic at that point, but it's essentially Hebrew because they're very similar. But he makes a pre-existing covenant firm. It's not really that important, but it is important to understand that I think that the daily sacrifices start at that point contextually. It seems that it's it's expecting you to understand that because it then tells you that they stop at the midpoint. But regardless of that, I think most people tend to agree that the daily sacrifices start at that point. Most people, everybody agrees that they start at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of when. I would say that the text is actually saying that they start at that covenant, that that's what that is explicitly saying. But again, that's not the point. The point is that what's happening there or around there, the, the sacrifices starting in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, is something that cannot be done without starting World War III in any scenario I can think of, even thinking a hundred years in the future or uh, or whatever. I, I, I don't know. Things obviously be much different a hundred years in the future. But, you know, as long as Islam is in any way here, that is something you cannot do unless you are supremely confident that you cannot be attacked or that you can defend yourself. And I think that's what the Antichrist, why the Antichrist is involved in this thing in the first place, is because who can make war with the beast? If you are allied with the Antichrist and he has this war-making capability that nobody ever even anticipated, expected, it is so intense. And again, I've said it a million times, I'm just rehashing what I've already said, but you can map out the countries that he is conquering. They are Islamic countries. They are he, he goes after uh, Ammon, Edom, Moab, Egypt, 
My intention here is to only say this, that the first thing that we are told that we are going to see in the end times is the Antichrist conquering kingdoms, just taking them over, causing all this trouble. It's actually interesting in the book of Daniel when it talks about this uh, this destruction. It says that uh, there will be a fourth kingdom, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down, break into pieces. That's the point I kind of want to focus in here, because that's also what you see with the rest of the birth pangs and the seals, is that then they begin to, to, to describe the famines and pestilence that follow after this. I've heard this described in other places in more detail, but the the long and the short of it is that the famines are a result of this trampling down the whole earth that the Antichrist does on his way to power. Now, there are other things involved with that, including earthquakes that are not, uh, would not presumably be a direct result of his wars, but I guess it could be, but I'm not trying to make that point. I'm just trying to say that uh, it does appear, especially in the seals, that the chronology is Antichrist shows up, then you have peace being taken from the earth. Then you have uh, famines and, and, and pestilence and the rest of it. They are, they are chronologically following that first event, which is the Antichrist, in both the seals. But the second point, a corollary to that, that idea that the first thing that we are expected to see in the end times is the rise of the Antichrist and his wars, is that his wars are very noticeable. They're not something that you are going to be able to say, you know, that one politician has made a deal over there and, and I think that might be the Antichrist. No, we're talking about a guy who takes over countries take, with, with amazing warfare. New country lines are being drawn. This is a guy starting a kingdom. In other words, you're not going to miss it. Similarly, you're not going to miss the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, which occurs right at the same time, if not uh, maybe just it's very close to the same time. Uh, but it's not something that you're going to miss. Uh, people, I think, water that down way too much and say, you know, it's just some minor peace deal or whatever. No, this is this is a world-shattering event uh, that's happening in Israel that nobody could ever not see. Uh, the question then, of course, is why would we as Christians not point that out and say, uh, that's clearly the Antichrist. How can anybody be deceived about that? Well, that's uh, that's kind of one of the reasons I'm starting this whole thing back up, because if I'm right about some of this stuff, then we are, in fact, just sitting ducks for the greatest deception of all time. Um, but that's another story. So to sum all this up, what is the first thing that we'll see in the end times? It is the Antichrist taking over the world, and it's going to be very, very clear. That being said, I do look for it. I mean, I look for signs of this. I'm, I'm trying to do what I think we are told to do and watch, and I'm watching the places that I'm expecting, and I'm watching the places I'm not expecting. I'm looking for any signs of this, and if I see signs of the end times approaching, see the signs that I believe Jesus specifically warned us about emphatically, then I'm going to be blowing the whistle on that. But I don't think I can. I certainly wish that other people wouldn't feel the need to blow the whistle on all these things that are essentially just bad interpretations, bad theology about the birth pangs. Um, I think that at the very least, people should settle that issue in their mind about when do the birth pangs occur? Have they been going on for 2,000 years? Are they going to start at some you know, unknown point before the seven-year period? Or are all of those things in the birth pangs and the, and the seals and all that stuff going to happen right at that very beginning point? And 
if you believe that they are connected to the seals, then you are now stuck in the position. And I think you're stuck in the position either way, because it's the same thing in the, in the birth pangs, but the false Christ uh, and the wars, the only thing about the birth pangs is that they're not, they're, they're more general where you get more specificity. Once you understand that it's specifically the antichrist from the seals kind of related to that point, I wanted to talk about how that false Christ's plural in the birth pangs, or rather, yeah, in the birth pangs, the false Christ, many, it's reiterated, so there's multiple false Christs, but the rest seems to line up perfectly with what the Antichrist is doing in the seals. So why the plurality in the birth pangs, but the singularity uh, in the uh, the rest of it? And I think that, first, we should understand that uh, clearly the Antichrist is in view in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. I mean, that it eventually gets right to the point. It's a guy, the abomination of desolation. I mean, a false Christ, the Antichrist, is is in view in one of those false Christs. But why the plurality? And my guess is that its messianic expectations are going to be really high towards the end times. And this might even be another sign that you can, not biblical, of course, this is a guess, but... Uh, something that we could reasonably look at, which is that messianic expectations get really high in Israel. And, and one of the ways that could happen, in my opinion, is the discovery of the Ark of the Covenant, particularly. I'm sure some other discoveries could do it, but really it's about the Ark, in my opinion. If you discovered the Ark, you would have a, a, a lot of talk in uh, Israel about, well, where's the Messiah at? And I wouldn't be surprised if you started to get new theologies that uh, started to show up there. In, in a way, it would kind of, the, the plurality of, of crazy people that would show up and claim to be false Christ, or they wouldn't claim to be false, but claim to be messiahs at that point, uh, would in a, in a sense lead the way for the Antichrist to do it correctly. Because he's going to do it all, all correctly. He's going to have a false prophet that's going to announce him beforehand and he's going to uh, be apparently from the the right line and everything is going to line up pretty pretty nicely for him so when he comes and Andy's got a sidekick that can call fire down, down from heaven like Elijah and do all the stuff that Elijah was supposed to do not to mention he will apparently allow the sacrifices to start and uh, protect them from their enemies and basically do a lot of messiah-like stuff so uh, it does seem to culminate with him so I don't see any kind of issue there but but I am kind of getting into my own personal theories here. The points of this podcast were, uh, number one, that the darkening clouds of liberalism and, and, and all the, the immorality and weird stuff that's going on, I don't mean to downplay that. I think it might, might have come across that way uh, at the beginning of this podcast. I think that the world is going to change and it's not going to be for the better. And, and we should be rightly outraged at a lot of this stuff. We are supposed to be salt of the world. Salt prevents the inevitable decay of meat, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to uh, push back against the evil and, 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 and prevent the decay of this world through our, uh, our actions and our, our prayers. So, yeah, I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry about the, the crazy stuff that's happening. I'm only trying to put it in perspective that it could just be history and that our history is, the history train just keeps on rolling and we might just be in for another, uh, another train stop and some bad stuff could happen and not 
be a result of Bible prophecy. I'm not trying to say that we aren't in the end times or the end times aren't going to start any day. I'm just saying that uh, we'll, they could always start any day. And yeah, we're probably more set up for it these days, but I don't really know that we are necessarily because I think people... I don't want to get into this. I'm trying to wrap the podcast up. But one thing I wanted to say was I think people see the atheism and the, the hatred of Christians in, in one sense is like, oh, that's proof that the end times are here. But really, the end times aren't about atheism. You know, that's they, they're about they're about worship. They're about religion. They're about uh, false Christs and belief of among the whole world. Atheists. You know, they're, they're a modern kind of annoyance, but they aren't, and they may kill us one day because they get in control and they, they think that we're bad. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe the Antichrist has some, is some kind of weird secular humanist that they used to believe that, you know, this P, uh, the Hal Lindsey version is a secular humanist, uh, peacemaker as opposed to a very religious war maker. Uh, but my point is, that uh, I need to wrap up the podcast. So let's do that. Check out the website, prewrathmovie.com and check out that fundraising trailer. Uh, Donate if you feel like you want to see the movie and sign up for the email list. Either way, check out the uh, YouTube video that is embedded there and go to that YouTube uh, page. It's only got that one video on it, but uh, be sure to subscribe to it. I'll probably upload only pre-wrath related stuff. I'm trying to keep the pre-wrath stuff uh, separate from my my crazy theories over here at BibleProphecyTalk.com. So I really wanted to have a YouTube page that was just pre-wrath so I could just be very orthodox pre-wrath over there. And uh, over here I can be all crazy and, and tinfoil hat and the rest of it. So it's good to be back. Thank you for uh, downloading this podcast. Check out BibleProphecyTalk.com for more. <laughs>